Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. just heard is a piece called Frescoes and Ashes by Victoria Bond, and the reason we are listening to it at the top of our episode is to introduce you to Victoria's music as she has composed several operas, and one of her recent operas, Clara, is being performed here in New York City next week. Clara tells the story of the amazing Clara Schumann, and this work recently had its world premiere earlier this year in Baden-Baden, Germany. So if you are curious to hear some of it performed live and you live in the New York City area, there is a performance of excerpts from Clara happening at Symphony Space on November 8 at 7 p.m. in the Leonard Nimoy Talia Theater. Tickets are $30 and you can purchase online at symphonyspace.org or visit victoriabond.com for more information. Definitely check it out, tell all your friends about it, and don't miss your chance to hear some of this new opera performed live right here in New York City. For our episode today, we have a composer that we've never talked about on the podcast, and of course an opera that we've never talked about. I don't even think we've mentioned it. So Elspeth, who is it and what is it that we're talking about today? Today we're going to talk about um, a specific composer and one of his more famous operas. We're going to talk about Samuel Osmond Barber II. Yes, I'm assuming that was also his dad's name. Who knows? Who could say? One of the most celebrated American composers of the 20th century. Um, He composed a lot of different stuff. Orchestral music, choral music, piano music. He had a lot of acclaim when he was uh, young, very young, in his 20s. And then later on in his life, he sort of moved more specifically to just opera. Um, He was born in 1910 died in 1981 and fun fact he's one of the very few composers where i guess he hit at the right time in his popularity where almost all of the pieces all the compositions he's ever written um have been recorded well that's pretty amazing there's an audio catalog of almost his entire 
opus is that the word yeah mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> opus. Nailed it. mr barber's opus mr barber's opus oh my god mr holmes <laughs> i opus. know i haven't seen that movie in so long but i think back on it and i now realize that there are great chunks of it that are deeply inappropriate oh yes mm. yes guys i i haven't seen that movie what well of course no. I, i've heard of it <laughs> There's some stuff in it that's not. Is that a whole different episode? There is some very problematic, uh, let's say, almost relationships that happen in that. Okay. Yes. Well, what about Mr. Barber's opus? Well, I feel like everybody probably knows a piece by Samuel Barber, even if they don't know that they know, because he wrote that very, very famous... Adagio for strings. I think mm. thinking of of everything that Samuel Barber did, um, he did a lot of vocal music because actually his aunt was named Louise Hunt. I think is her last name, and she was a well known alto that sang pretty exclusively at the Metropolitan Opera mm. in the nineteen thirties and forties. So because of that connection, and they were very close, he did write a lot of vocal music. I think the three things that he's really known for are um, Knoxville Summer of nineteen fifteen. I don't know that one. What the ever-loving fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's for soprano and orchestra. Let's just stop. Let's listen to some of it right now. For the record, <laughs> Barbara's an American composer. For the record, you have a doctorate in music. I know. And so you should know this. <laughs> oh. Ooh, the first time it's been used against you. I know. <laughs> I'm a lifelong learner. I'm okay, still learning. Fine. Hey. So... Learn every day. <laughs> Knoxville Summer of 1915 was written in 1947. Let's take a listen to some of it now.
So what's piece number two? Piece number two would be the adagio for strings. Yeah. Used in a bunch of movies. Um, it actually, I think they played it at um, Grace Kelly's, Princess Grace of Monaco's funeral. Oh, wow. And I think some governing body somewhere named it like the saddest piece of music ever written. Mm-hmm. He wrote it when he was 26. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. He knew a lot of heartache at a young age. That's mm-hmm. right. And then the last piece is the opera that we're going to be talking about in a little bit. I thought you were going to say another soprano aria that I feel like everybody, well, every soprano in the conservatory that I went to sang at some point, which is Sure on This Shining Night. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Sure on this shining night of starlit shadows Kindness must this watch, for, watch me for me this side the ground. Um, the funny thing is that I I never sang that tune, but I <laughs> heard it so many times that I could so probably times. sing it verbatim. <laughs> yes, I sang it. As part of my rep in conservatory, I heard it sung by like literally every soprano in the program. And I think I actually, because I could play piano, 
I could play that piece because the accompaniment is not that hard mm-hmm. and it's really beautiful. So then when friends of mine were practicing, they would ask if I would accompany them. So it's like I played it, I sang it, I heard it. Yeah. It's a beautiful piece. Let's listen to a professional sing it because it's one of those ones where when it's done really well, it's very emotional and it, it really gets people. Not It does. Uh, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful piece. <laughs> when it's done in conservatory, it doesn't always achieve that but uh Hmm. you know it's really hard to sing the phrases are so long like you have to have such crazy good breath control and it's like long held notes high notes it's it's deceptively difficult because it sounds simple but it's quite difficult to sing well Mm mm-hmm So Samuel Barber won two Pulitzer Prizes. Nice. He won the Rome Prize, which is sort of the American version of the Prix de Rome. Mm-hmm. And he was elected to the American Academy of Arts and Letters. Uh, I'll talk a- briefly about him. There was some salacious stuff Ooh. a little bit later. Uh, but I think one thing that's really interesting about Samuel Barber is that he sort of floated above and beyond basically the trends that were happening in classical music in the 20th century. (laughs) Um, Everything that he pretty much wrote was extremely lyric, very like neo-romantic. At a time when expressionism was like really taking shape and all these avant-garde composers were coming forward and Barber was just sort of chugging along. 
but people and his barbarism criticized him quite a bit because they i thought that a lot of like critics and scholars said that he basically pandered to populism like he wrote things that were pretty and beautiful to please the public and because of that for a long time his work was not considered like serious art music even though i mean i think that happened later on because right. in his 20s is around that time when he you know won all those awards and things like that right but nowadays people use him as an example at least in musicology of how this attitude prevailed at a particular moment in the 20th century if people liked your music and found it beautiful it was somehow bad bad and coughing <laughs> out or not complicated enough but now with more distance and time between us in that time period we understand that you know just because he didn't follow the trends of essentially the second Viennese school doesn't discount his contributions as a composer his extreme success is notable in and of itself and his works are very worthwhile both culturally and kind of musically in a scholarly sense of course just because they were popular doesn't make them inherently bad I mean people said the same thing about Puccini right exactly he was writing like popular trash (laughs) right with no musical value but but that was a attitude that you found in 20th century music when people were like if it's not complicated 12 tone then it can't possibly be good right people were snobs right (laughs) well and now we have the situation where people assume anything composed after puccini is like completely atonal has no melody all of that that's that is such a sweeping generalization though (laughs) oh yeah i said the perception Yes, yes, I'm ag- I'm agreeing with you, adding to it. Mm-hmm. But the adagio uh, for strings was also played at the funeral of two presidents, Franklin D. Roosevelt and JFK. Wow. Oh, um, a couple of quick facts about him. He was one of the, he decided when he was seven, no, yes, when he was seven, that he wanted to become a composer. Wow. Told his parents, he grew up in, in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Uh, he was one of the first students at the newly created Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And while he was there, he met a fellow music student named Giancarlo Minotti. Oh, nice. Giancarlo. Right. And they uh, embarked on... It's funny because um, in some of the research I've done, they refer to it as six decades of friendship and mutual attraction. They were together <laughs> for 30 years. They like... Okay. They bought a house in Mount Kisco. They lived together. They were partners. I don't know oh, gotcha. why this is. They bought a house in Mount Kisco that they nicknamed the Capricorn. <laughs> they lived as a couple there uh, until 1974. And they're, um, I mean, the internet The internet is a wild and wonderful place. Um, <laughs> they're apparently later on in life, Minotti, they were the same age, but Minotti got a little bit bored with Samuel Barber as he got older. Um, it became pretty known that Minotti liked relationships with them um, with much younger men, mm. which Barber found pretty devastating. That's sort of how their relationship dissolved. They um there was cheating and all this kind of stuff. And odd thing that I read oh, this is so this is just like salacious gossip. So um Minotti I forget this guy's name. Let's call him James. Um <laughs> he 
his driver around Charleston, because Minotti is the one that started the um, the Spoleto Festival. Oh, didn't know that. Um, in South Carolina, yeah, was this very young, extremely attractive, like actor type, and they started this sexual relationship. And he was thirty years younger than Minotti. And for some reason, I can't figure out, I don't know if it was the time period that they lived in, Minotti ended up, like, legally adopting him. Oh! So I guess people wouldn't say weird things when they were always together? I don't know. That's so strange. <laughs> it's real fucking weird. I wish you guys could see Naomi's face. <laughs> <laughs> so perplexed. Just some light fake incest. Um... So, Barbara, <laughs> I just feel like, did they really think that that was like, I don't know, pulling the wool over I people's don't know. eyes? I don't know. <laughs> oh. He's dead. Okay, on the one hand, I find it like deeply disturbing that that's the tack they took. But on the other hand, at that time, if the only other option or if what they experienced was just like constant persecution because it was so taboo then i feel for them because it's like if that's the lengths they went to to like find a way to be together that's extreme but deeply strange yeah yes um so anyways (laughs) anyways let's talk about anthony and cleopatra for a second okay so big deal was written um for the premiere of what is now the Metropolitan Opera House at Lincoln Center, 1966. It was the big opener of the building, a big fucking deal. He um, did it in a big collaboration with the new production, Franco Zeffirelli. Leontine Price was singing Cleopatra, and it was a mm-hmm. total fucking disaster. <laughs> People hated it. People hated it. It was this overblown production total critical failure and barber basically blamed it on creative differences between himself and zeffirelli and he said that the major villain of the piece has always been franco zeffirelli who not only designed and directed the production but also prepared the libretto adapting it from shakespeare's play oh barber may not have written a perfect opera but there did at times seem to be another opera hidden beneath all the blinding glitter of a heaving extravaganza obviously meant to be last word an operatic spectacle. Barbara later said that what I wrote and what I envisioned had nothing to do with what one saw on that stage. Wow. And there are all these stories of how, like, Leontine Price gets stuck in a pyramid and all this kind of <laughs> stuff because it was, like, the production was too big for that the stage to handle. So the thing about Anthony and Cleopatra, it was such a, a critical failure from a man who, for the majority of his professional life, received a lot of of accolades even though there was the criticism he worked consistently people loved his music he won all these awards arturo toscanini was a huge champion of samuel barber basically because of the adagio for strings and toscanini Mm -hmm. was a huge um factor in barber becoming so famous and so because anthony and cleopatra was such a critical disaster barber basically withdrew from public life and oh, just sort of no. holed up um, at the Capricorn, became an alcoholic, suffered Thanks. some severe bouts of depression. That was pretty much the end of his uh, career. And then he got, he was diagnosed with cancer. Um, that's pretty much what happened to him, which is a, a pretty that's so sad, sad yeah, ending. Horrible. I mean, we always sort of make fun of 
how ridiculous ending Cleopatra was and how like when I say it was never done again it has never been done again mm-hmm. like not at once I don't think so not to not to my knowledge I couldn't find any records of there being um a production anywhere like repeat performances uh, a repeat performance after that of initial season yeah. mm-hmm. that's crazy but to move it was on. like a one and done and did he it did even... he did write Wait, did, it, did it have multiple performances on that season or it just opened and then yes, never it went did on again? yeah um, he did write a couple, write a couple of one acts. Um, a hand of bridge is something that I think a lot of schools do, because mm. like this very short one act they mm-hmm. put on, on programs and things like that. And that's both um, a hand of bridge and our main opera to discuss today. He wrote in collaboration with John Carlo Menotti. Yes, Anthony and Cleopatra is the only opera that Barbara did not collaborate. Mm-hmm. For better or for worse, with Minotti on. And I think A Hand of Bridge was created for the Spoleto Festival, one of the Spoleto Festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, but today, the third opera. We're going to talk about one of his enduring operas, an opera that he wrote a Pulitzer Prize for, and that would be Vanessa. Mm-hmm. So it was composed in 1956 and 1957, commissioned by the Met, and it premiered there on January 15th in 1958. And he reduced it in 1964. Um, It originally was four acts, and the version I think most people perform today is three, so he just cut it down a little bit. Oh, okay. I didn't realize. There's a story. So when they did it at the Met, um, there was a soprano named, um, and forgive me, this is probably going to be wrong, um, named Senya Jarinak, who was contracted to sing the title role of Vanessa. And she pulled out about six weeks before the opening, and the uh, very famous soprano Eleanor Stieber stepped in to sing the role. And it's a role that she was associated with. For pretty much the rest of her career, she sang all over the place. But there's a story that I heard that actually I now think is 100% untrue, but it's a great story. That <laughs> the role of um, the the title, the titular role, the soprano role of Vanessa was written for Maria Callas. Right? Oh. Or, oh. Immediately, I think this is wrong. Um, written for Maria <laughs> Callas. But then she saw the score and looked through it and was like, I'm not singing this role because you gave the best aria to one of the other females, to the other, like the secondary <laughs> to the character, to the mezzo. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not doing this. Ooh. I don't think this is true, but it is an excellent story. Um, <laughs> the, How dare you? I know. The mezzo who pre- premiered that role, um, that is the role of Erica, who is Vanessa's e- uh, niece, was Rosalind Elias. Oh, wow. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Who was then not really a known entity. It, it made her famous. Nice. That's super cool. The lead tenor was sung by Nikolai Gaeta. Wow. Nice. Uh, Regina Resnick sang the other female role. What? This is like a crazy so cool. luxury cast. Yeah. And there uh-huh. was another role, The Old Doctor, who was sung by the bass Giorgio Totsi. Wow. So luxury casting. Are there? Is there a recording of... Yep. That cast? Mm-hmm. Oh, there is? Yeah. This was in 1958, Dang. so yeah, it was definitely a recording of them doing it. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So, so Vanessa was a big deal. 
I'm so curious now to know like what it's what the story is about because I feel like even though it is one of Barber's more popular works I don't see it on opera seasons that often so which is surprising to me because it's a pretty small core cast but I'll get to that in a second so the premiere happened huge success people fucking loved it Pulitzer Prize that same year 1958 the production was shown again at the Salzburg Festival which was its first performance in Europe Um, oddly enough in Europe it had a much chillier reception I think just because Barber is such an American composer and the sound whatever that means is just very it's very American Mm. Mm -hmm. and also I don't know they premiered in a place where English is not People's first language. People's first language. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. There are five main characters and then two very small base parts that play like a footman, that kind of thing. (laughs) A footman like Mr. Bates? Classic bass role. Mr. Bates. Classic (laughs) bass role of uh, just known as the footman. Um, (laughs) So it's very intimate. Let's dive right into the plot. Yes, please. So this takes place in 1905 at Vanessa's country house in a northern country it's never specified where but people are scandinavia whatever i was gonna say oh "Oh, this could take place in canada sure it takes place in canada (laughs) yes it could take place in canada it takes place in canada all right people think must the winter come so soon (laughs) oh it's this opera (laughs) great well we don't episode done no 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 <laughs> there's more episode done there's more to life in canada than just waiting for winter fine or All being right. disappointed about winter being coming. sad that it's already winter it's it's, it's 1905 okay it's 1905 northern country we're in vanessa's, vanessa's secluded country house okay and vanessa awaits for the arrival of anatole and anatole is a man who had been vanessa's lover 20 years before Ooh. Mm. After he left her, she covered up this is so messed up. She covered up all the mirrors in his in her house and said, I'll uncover them and we'll allow people back in when he returns. So it's twenty Ooh. twenty odd years ago. And um she is unwilling to see the ravages of time for lack of a better word, but let's let's be serious here. Vanessa in every production I've ever seen, she's keeping it tight. <laughs> <laughs> Which she's unwilling Toy. to look upon herself. She's unwilling to look upon herself, which is why she covers all the mirrors. She doesn't want to see what <laughs> the passage of time has done to change her. Right. But because... I mean, legitimately, Vanessa is like in her 40s. <laughs> but she's a, a gorgeous 40-year-old woman. Keeping it tight. <laughs> uh, so she lives in this secluded country house with her mother, the Baroness. The Baroness von Schrader. The Baroness von Schrader. <laughs> ah. The Baroness von Schrader, who has refused to speak to her for the past 20 years. They live together in the same house and they don't speak? Mm-hmm. Why? Okay. So they live in this house. The Baroness refuses to speak to her. And the other person that lives in this house is Vanessa's niece, Erica. Do Vanessa and Erica speak? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. Thank God. Does Erica and the Baroness speak? Yes. So pretty much the opera opens, and one of the first things that happens is the best aria in the piece, the thing that everybody knows, is Erica standing at the window looking out, and she says, must the winter come so soon? So let's listen to it now, this huge reveal, 
was ruined by Kyle Homewood. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever. Let's just listen to Rosalind Elias sing it now. It doesn't matter. It's ruined. The snow floats down, and as the winter comes, so was this the aria that Maria Callas was jealous that it went to the mezzo? Uh, theoretically, in the story, yes, is jealous that it went to the mezzo mm-hmm. and not the soprano. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Night after night. Okay. I, as an aside, uh huh. Um. I heard this sung by one of our studio artists a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and uh, it was in this church that behind where she was singing, it had this like beautiful open window to the desert landscape, and so she was like, <laughs> said something about like, yeah, you you guys are really gonna have to use your imaginations here. <laughs> Close your eyes and pretend, you know, because it's like an eighty-five degree day. Right. I I have to admit that if i've ever been in a warm climate around the month of november or december several years ago i was in san francisco for a conference at the end of november and there was like christmas decorations everywhere and it was so warm and yeah i was like this is the weirdest thing like palm trees with like christmas decorations i don't understand some of us can't all live in a winter wonderland i know right well so the winter comes and goes um and all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door, and everyone's like, the fuck? <laughs> um, 
and it's a man. What, 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 what? Is it Anatole? It's a man. It's a man named Anatole. Uh, are we assuming it's the same Anatole? Hold on. Oh, boy. Hold on. So he says, my name is Anatole. Vanessa is like, I'm not coming down. I don't want to see him. I don't want him to see me old and hideous. I refuse to reveal my face to my former lover until he says that he still loves me. If I know that he still loves me, then I'll come down. We'll be together forever. And Anatole's like, hey, uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> that wasn't me. That was my dad. Ooh. Oh. This is a young man. This is my dad. And he died and when he died he said he always talked about like the love of his life vanessa and all this he's like i had to come and i and i had to see myself and vanessa of course is very upset by this because the past 20 years of her life been been focused on this man waiting Mm -hmm. for him to return right and so vanessa flees and so it's just erica and anatole just kind of hanging out and they're like well just like you let's stay for dinner and and so they have a night together they have a meal curtain oh act one done is there a clear attraction between them during this meal shared yes okay anatole is a hot young thing as is erica apparently sure okay so act two curtain rises thank you (laughs) (laughs) curtain so we're in a, a room in the estate and Erica is sitting there with the Baroness and Erica tells her that first night when they shared a meal together, Anatole, Anatole seduced her Ooh. and they fucked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they did. They did the dirty. They did the dirty. And the Baroness okay. is like, how could you let this happen? Da, 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 da. It's 1905. Women who were not right. married didn't do that. Erica's like, I'm in love with him. But um, he had said to her, let's get married, let's flee this place. And she's like, I just don't think he really means it. So she rejected his marriage proposal. And the Baroness is like, what the hell is wrong with you? You've slept <laughs> with this man. He says he'll marry you. You got to do it. Got to do it. Get out of this weird house. Go live your life. So Vanessa comes down. She's sort of delusional. Cause so she's you- come back? Yes, she's come down from her rooms. Um, Vanessa's sort of delusional because, you know, past 20 years of her life useless waste what is she going to do now that her one purpose in life waiting for this man is now gone so vanessa does not know obviously that erica is in love with anatole so vanessa comes down she's sort of in this delusionary state of mind and she tells her niece that she still loves anatole thinking that young anatole is her anatole oh no even though Erica's like, that's he's not the same man. He's not the same man. He's not the same man. They they they, they have the same name and apparently they look a lot alike and that's genetics. All that Vanessa <laughs> needs. Uh oh. And the Baroness tells Erica, if you are in love with him, you're gonna have to fight for him. And she leaves. Everybody leaves. Erica's alone. Anatole comes back on. He's like, Hey girl, what's up? Offer of marriage still on the table. And Erica, for whatever reason, is just like, nope. Really? <laughs> Rejected twice. Curtain. 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 Mm. Act three. Curtain rises. So this is the final act? Or are we doing original version? Um, or does it matter? I'm going to break it up 
as it was in the original version, so it's going to be 4X. Okay. But in later subsequent performances, Act 3 and Act 4 are just sort of tightened up and combined. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Act 3, it's now New Year's Eve. Hmm. There's a big... Romantic. P- romantic. There's a big party at Vanessa's place. The doctor's what? there, and he's... Drunk. <laughs> Everybody they, likes a drunk doctor. Everyone likes a drunk doctor. Do they uncover the mirrors for the party, or no? They still stay covered. Mirrors out. Oh, everything's opened up. Everything's opened up. People are there. The doctor is drunk. The Baroness and Erica refuse to come down to the party because this New Year's Eve party is also announcing the engagement of Anatole and Vanessa. Uh oh. Does Anatole know that? Yes, he does. Uh oh. Oh wow. Um, so Vanessa goes over to the doctor and she's like, This isn't cool that like my niece at least my niece, my relationship with my mom is way fucked. My niece is not here. Can you like go up and get her and bring her down? This is such a happy occasion, whatever. Um and the doctor goes and, and Erica she doesn't finally... know. She doesn't know that Erica hooked up with Anatole? No. Nobody okay. but the Baroness Oof. knows that. Gotcha. Um, and so the doctor gets Erica to come down. She descends the staircase, um, and then she faints because, unbeknownst to everyone, Erica is pregnant. Saw that a mile away. Right. Yeah. With everybody else. Um, that was gonna be my next question. Right. Mm-hmm. So she 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 recovers. Every, everybody knows that if you have sex one time, one. Oh, it's true. The first time, time is all. It, the first time is all it takes, people. Be careful. Particularly Be in nineteen oh five. Every Seriously. the one time that dude didn't you're automatically anything, pregnant. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> he probably didn't think it was necessary because he was like, Well shit, we're getting married. It's fine. Right. Anyhow. It's gonna be cool. So Erica, you know, she faints from the shock of being like, Oh, Vanessa and Angela are getting married. Great. Um, she wakes up and she flees out into the barren snowy wilderness because this is an opera, so everything is very dramatic. Um <laughs> And because she's out wandering in the woods and it's cold and oh, it's no. nighttime, she does miss Carrie. Aww. Um, in the actually interestingly, in the original version, which um has subsequently been cut, she says the she sings the line, His child, it must not be born, which makes it clear that her intention was to go out into the woods to uh, basically abort the child. That's that has been cut from hey. subsequent versions. Because I think that that came off a little that was too much for that people. That was a little too risque for 1958. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, curtain. Curtain. Act four. Curtain rises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Vanessa is very happy that Erica has been found and she's going to be okay and she's alive. And she asks Anatole why he thinks Erica is acting so strangely. And she's like, do you think that she's in love with you? And he's like, Uh-oh. no, she definitely doesn't love me. It's totally <laughs> fine. Um, so Vanessa's like, cool, that's great. We're getting married. Why don't you take me away and we'll leave this horrible place? And meanwhile, Erica finally confesses to her grandmother, the Baroness, that she was pregnant but isn't any longer. The Baroness is horrified by this news, and then she refuses to speak to her again. So the Baroness is talking <laughs> to no one now. Okay. Uh, classic Baroness. Classic, <laughs> classic Baroness. Withholding conversation. The greatest light. 
right. So <laughs> Vanessa and Anatole are finishing up their plans to go away to Paris. Okay, to like start a new life together. Mm-hmm. And while they're doing it, Vanessa asks Erica why she ran away, and Erica says, "Well, I was just being silly. I was just being <laughs> foolish." And Vanessa says that she's probably never going to come back to this house where she has been living. She's now going off to live her her real life. So Anatole and Vanessa leave. Um, and Erica is left in the house with the Baroness and every all the servants. So then Erica goes around. She covers all the mirrors in the house, just oh. as Vanessa has done before her. And one of the final lines of the opera is Erica says, it's now my turn to wait. And that's how it ends. That is super depressing. It is super depressing. It's depressing, but it's also kind of creepy. It is really creepy. Um, the source material, it's a little bit debated what the source material is, but people think it came from a series of like gothic short stories. It sounds um, like so a gothic So it is a very like, novel. gothic novel. And yeah, and um, the character of Anatole, I think one of the reasons that Erica keeps refusing, because Erica is this very serious, buttoned-up woman, refuses to marry him is that Anatole is always portrayed as kind of this fun-loving he likes his drink he's very flirtatious kind of thing when Erica rejects him twice Vanessa is there and she keeps being like I love you I love you and he's like well this woman's here and she's attractive and she's rich as all fuck so okay (laughs) and yeah so the big the big uh musical moments in this are obviously must the winter come so soon 
Yes. Vanessa has an aria that I 100% forgot the title of. I think it's like, he has come, he has come. Wee! (laughs) 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 And there is a very Uh. famous um, quintet in it that we should listen to where it's Vanessa, Erica, Anatole, the Baroness, and the old doctor. And everybody is sort of reflecting on all of the shit that has gone down. You know, like in um, like in Mozart, all of those big ensemble numbers, everybody is like commenting on the action, but not to each other. Yeah. So mm-hmm. let's uh, take a listen to that. Also, original cast, because why not when you got it? So that is a little bit about Samuel Barber, and that is a little bit about his very famous opera, Vanessa. I don't honestly know why it's not done more, because it's got two powerhouse female roles. I mean, the vocal demands are not crazy. I think Vanessa requires like mm-hmm. a slightly larger soprano voice, but it's not Wagnerian by any stretch of the imagination. I think Anatole is real fucking high, but hmm. whatever, get a tenor, come sing that, it's fine. I, I think this opera is great and it's beautiful and it's a pretty tight as far as plot goes and people should do it more. It's good. Well, shoot. 
people do it more if anyone listening is the general manager of an opera company somewhere do this opera it's great and we'll come see it we promise i feel like you could have like really cool and creepy productions of this totally Mm -hmm. and another thing from a directorial perspective you really only need the one set that's true save your money also people love stage snow so you know you just have a production where you get some stage snow stage you know even (laughs) though it would require people knowing this opera a little bit better i could totally see somebody doing this like in a gothic mansion like a sleep no more style thing right where you it's like a deconstructed and you like follow the characters around and there's all these rooms like every room is a different scene so would it be a thing like every the audience would have to wear headphones in order to hear the orchestra probably would be in one room i think you would need to because otherwise like the orchestra's following you around or (laughs) room to room (laughs) Right. <laughs> Hold on, guys. Clunk. Cl- let's even clunky. <laughs> Hold on, guys. Give me one second. Although, like in Sleep No More, you don't have headphones, and you do like a piano <laughs> vocal version. In Sleep No More, you don't have headphones, but there is a kind of sonic leading of you through the space. So yeah, but this is an opera. It is. It's a different. It's a different animal to tackle. Right. But I think that'd be really fucking cool. I think it'd be awesome, and you could. You could really play up the kind of gothic undertones of it if you had the right space. Ooh, oh my god, I love this. Right? I'm like touching myself. I love this. I didn't mean like that. I'm like touching Whoa. my shoulders. <laughs> she, she's getting goosebumps. She's so I'm into getting, it. She reeled I'm it back in. Reeled it in. Yeah, I think that's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Somebody just do this. For the love of right. God. Someone in, in Canada, meantime... that northern country that we love so. Right. There are 1905 mansions in secluded parts of Canada, right? Uh, oh, definitely there must be but like you want people to actually be able to come to it so that's i'm not saying that you have to find a mansion that like literally models the the location of the story <laughs> it needs to be somewhere central so people can come everybody get your sled dog team together yeah oh come on and drive yes. drive your sled over to the but actually home actually there's a really good place in toronto that you could do it Casa Loma in Toronto, which was built to be like a, an Edwardian castle, but it was built like in the early 1900s. And it's very castle looking, but I feel like it could do this very well. Oh my God, let's do it. Somebody fund our idea. Somebody fund this idea. It's such a good idea. <laughs> it is. It would be so good. Anyhow. Right, anyway. Well, when it happens, we'll let you know about it. Right. An Opera After Dark production. Yeah, yeah. Until then, if you want to know about what we're doing, what's going on, make sure you find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, also at operaafterdark.com. While you're at the website, make sure you check out the shop, mm-hmm. get all your Opera After Dark swag. And if you want to show support for the podcast, there's several ways you can do it. You can leave a review or comment wherever you're listening to your to this podcast. Uh, or you can go to patreon.com slash opera after dark and support us there. Why'd you give me a funny face? You said or weird. Or? <laughs> you, said, you said like, oh, or. <laughs> it was weird. Okay, I'll try it again. No, no, no. Keep everything that just happened in. It makes us relatable. <laughs> or. <laughs> or. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, well, with that. And yeah, when you when you're done doing all of those things, uh, make sure you listen to our next episode because it'll probably take you a week and it'll already be time again. Yay! Bad joke. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'm Naomi. I'm Elspeth. And I'm Kyle. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.